You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. You're listening to the Pennsylvania Woodsman, powered by Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network. This show is driven to provide relatable hunting and outdoor content in the Keystone State and surrounding Northeast. On this show, you'll hear an array of perspectives from biologists and industry professionals to average Joes with a lifetime of knowledge. All centered around values aiming to be better outdoorsmen and women both in the field as well as home and daily life. No clicks, no self-interest, just the light in the pursuit of creation. And now, your host, the pride of Pennsylvania, the man who shoots straight and won't steer you wrong, Johnny Appleseed himself, Mitchell Shirk. Mitchell Shirk. Mitchell Shirk. Mitchell Shirk. What's up, everybody? Thanks again for tuning in to another episode this week. Hope you guys had a wonderful Thanksgiving. If you were like me, you ate way too much. Um, I can still feel uh, I can still feel turkey and filling and all that other stuff in uh, places in my gut rumbling around. I think it's going to be jostling around yet when we're doing some deer hunting this week. Um, speaking of deer hunting, hopefully you had some good deer hunting success rifle season the big gun season the orange army whatever you want to call it it's among us you either love it or you hate it um there's very few that are in between um as i say that i'm trying to think about that if i love it or if i hate it i don't hate it so i guess i love it um i I do enjoy it i'm you know as i'm recording this here and as you listen to this it'll be wednesday i'll be headed to my deer camp in northern pennsylvania and we're going to be doing our annual group hunt with uh, with family and friends Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Friday is usually the day, the, the big group where the camps get together and we make some drives, and it's a lot of fun. I'm really looking forward to it. I, I do every year. I don't know what I love more, the hunt itself or, you know, going back to camp and just the, the dinner and the, the time and the stories and everything else that we have. It, it's an annual tradition, and I love it. And... Uh, yeah, I'm just, other than that, I'm, I'm just going through the motions here. I'm busy with work. I'm trying to uh, keep keep busy there. Actually, I should say that. I have no problem keeping busy. It's just a matter of uh, staying focused on work when all I want to do is, you know, deer hunt. <laughs> and I'm sure a lot of you guys can relate to that. You know, even for me, I've, I've filled a bunch of tags and still all I can think about is going to the woods, going to the woods, going to the woods. So, uh, hey, I'm going to get that break here, and I hope you guys do too. Hopefully you've had success. Regardless of what it is, stay fun, stay safe. Uh, this week we're going to have a, a great deer hunting conversation like we always do, and it's going to be catered to this time of year. It's going to be catered to rifle hunting. 
rifle hunting strategy, pressure, you know, post archery season, the post rut. And we're also going to get into a little bit of a fun discussion of making deer drives. We're going to talk about safe deer drives, uh, well-executed deer drives, good communication, and, uh, you know, the whole nine yards of a dynamic when it comes to group hunting. And all this conversation is going to be happening with my good buddy, Phil Holcomb. Phil is an all-around he's just a well-rounded outdoorsman you know he's one of those where if it's something in the outdoors he dabbles in it you know this guy has done anything from small property manipulation uh quality deer with quality deer management principles and killed deer on micro parcels to hunting the big woods to group hunting and drive hunting and heck i even think he did a podcast on talking about curing meats and you know game processing i mean he truly does just enjoy every aspect of the outdoor um, outdoor world and he's just a an avid deer hunter and i i've had a lot of conversations with him in the past um, after I did some of my other group hunting episodes, and we just conversed about drives and philosophies, and he's been part of some groups where, you know, he might have been the leader of a group or, you know, had helped with leading a group to make drives, and I thought he'd be a real fitting person to have on for this episode. So big thanks to Phil and having this conversation. Hopefully you guys pick up on something and can use it this week and uh, maybe even in the late season. So let's get to this episode with Phil real quick before we do. I want to give a shout out to our partners. Radix Hunting, guys. If you have not looked into Radix, if you've been listening to me all year long talk about Radix yet haven't checked them out, I encourage you to do it around the holiday season. It's going to be a great gift for somebody. And uh, <clears throat> maybe it's time for you to just update some cameras. I know a lot of you guys like to pull cameras in rifle season. So, you know, you have less people out there to potentially you know, be tempted by stealing or looking at your cards or something. So uh, maybe you found some of those cameras you had weren't working the proper way and you want to do some updating. And I suggest Racks because fantastic image quality, fantastic response to those, uh, to those cameras, or trigger speed is what I'm getting at. And uh, I just love my M-Core cell cameras. They're simple and they just work great. Uh, really hard to beat those. So check out Radix Hunting and all the other stuff they have to offer at Radix Hunting. And also Huntworth. I have been running some of the colder season stuff. The stuff with heat boost. <clears throat> Their hoodie with heat boost. I'm a hoodie person. I love to wear hoodies everywhere I go. But when you get into archery season, you know, it, it's great. But when you get into rifle season and it's just cloth hoodies, uh, you know, there's no liner there. That heat boost technology, <coughs> excuse me, I wore that this year in bear season. Was completely blown away. And I'm going to be using it the rest of rifle season and the rest of muzzleloader season. We get into these colder temperatures. Heat boost is the real deal. So check it out. Check out Huntworth gear. And with that, let's get to this episode. You know what I mean? Yeah. So they would always they would basically not be able to hunt opening day. <laughs> so. Well, at least you're going to get to hunt opening day, and I'm looking forward to talking about it with you. But joining me on uh, this week's show is uh, is my good friend Phil Holcomb. Man, how you been? It's good to catch up with you. Oh, I've been pretty good, man. It's good to uh, good to get back on and and uh, and talk to you. Uh, but uh, yeah, had a had a good. Uh, 
good archery season. Um, yeah, you were giving me the play-by-play quite often. I mean, you had some close calls, but uh, we're, uh, we're we're still we're we're still sitting uh, pretty, waiting for rifle season here. It's been a while since you could say that. Yeah, yeah, it has been. It's been. Uh, I think 2017 was the last time I had a, a buck tagged for uh, for rifle season. So um, definitely, definitely looking forward for for that opportunity. I always like uh like hunting with a rifle um i i I mean i just like hunting deer in general i don't i won't let uh uh you know choice of of weapon or season or whatever you know limit me on it and uh um just like to to get out there and i've had uh the past couple of years actually had a lot of uh really good encounters with uh with really good bucks uh in the first few days of rifle season, but, uh, didn't have a tag. So, <laughs> you know, yeah, well, hopefully we that... can switch that around this year. Yeah, exactly. You, um, you took on kind of a unique challenge this year. We were talking about it the other day you were talking about the, the challenge of a new piece of property. You, you want to touch a little bit on that. Cause it was, it was like, for me, it would have been outside of my comfort zone, what you were trying to accomplish this year with the bow. I mean, it was a little bit different. Yeah, and I mean, in in some ways, it was uh, a little bit out of my comfort zone. Um, but I, in a lot of ways, I had been kind of working towards uh, kind of making that kind of that uh, I guess adjustment um, for the past couple of years, anyway. Um, but uh, kind of opted out of uh, of hunting my um, my own property um, that I've been very successful on uh, in the past and, uh, decided to hunt some, um, property that, uh, basically it's a, it's a club property. It's got a lot of members. Uh, it's got a lot of pressure. It's got a lot of different types of pressure. Um, in addition to deer hunting, there's a whole lot of small game hunting. They do things like stock, uh, upland birds. Um, there's, uh, a whole lot of uh, ATV and UTV access throughout the property. There's a lot of recreational ATV and UTV usage, um, and uh, so it's just it's um, it's it's a definitely a very high pressure environment. There's a whole lot of um, of human presence, human disturbance. Um, it's a good sized property, uh, so there's always going to be um, those little overlooked pockets, um, there's always going to be, uh, ways to figure out how the deer are adjusting to, or habituating to human disturbance and then trying to, you know, capitalize on, on that. So, um, there was a pretty big learning curve. Uh, I hadn't spent, um, a whole lot of time in, um, you know, archery season in the past there. So, um, there was a lot of like question marks, a lot of unknowns, you know, like that. You're just like, I, you can scout it in the off season. You can see the, um, kind of the remnants of the, of the hunting pressure and stuff, but you don't really know until you like start to get into the thick of it. Um, and, uh, uh, still managed to have, um, you know, a really good encounter with a with a very good mature buck uh, in bow range for over two hours without <laughs> presenting a shot opportunity, um, and then uh, the same deer ended up 
probably spending a, probably a, a some total of time uh, about four hours um, with within a hundred yards of where I was uh, where I was set up um, over the course of that day. So um, it was really awesome. It was a great experience. I, I got to observe a lot of really cool behavior. Um, but uh, the end of the day, it's, uh, when he was in range, uh, didn't have shot opportunities. He spent a lot of that time bedded down. Um, when he did get up and start moving towards me, uh, pretty much had a head on view of him the entire time. And then uh, just, net when he did turn didn't have didn't have a clear lane uh he ended up bumping some does back into the area uh chasing them around for a while and so there was various times where i was just starting to draw because it looked like it was it was it was going to happen and then the chaos of you know a buck chasing a doe would uh <laughs> would would make uh you know, make the dough go zig and he would zag and, and it just never worked out, but it still was, uh, was pretty, uh, pretty awesome. Um, and that was like on a, on a, a kind of, a very typical, um, hunt, uh, for me for this year, which wasn't my typical style anyway. So just, um, got into a, picked a spot that I had been in previously, but hadn't been in this year, figured that it would had the right ingredients for, um, a good, uh, rut hunting location, um, had a good terrain feature and habitat kind of coupled together. Um, I should say there was actually probably three terrain features that kind of came together with good habitat and, uh, um, you know, basically was doing the old, like, uh, starting in after daylight had already broke so that I can kind of scout my way in, um, and be able to pick, you know, pick a tree to get into, uh, that offered as much opportunity as possible while it was light out. Um, and, uh, and did that and got in, got set up and I actually wasn't even completely done getting set up when that deer came in <laughs> and uh, and embedded down but um so it, it was it was cool i did that quite a bit uh this year just kind of um picking different spots that i had previously scouted and uh didn't necessarily have particular uh trees in mind or anything like that but just kind of scouted my way in um worked it off the sign that i saw and then made the call on getting set up and you know resulted in um you know some really good encounters yeah i'm i'm kind of curious what was the allure of the draw to this property in particular what made you go to a property that has higher hunting pressure and take on a unique challenge was that something you've been part of for a long time or was this a, a beginning a, a new beginning so to speak uh it's it's relatively new um haven't been in the club all that long this was uh, the second second hunting season. Um, some of it has to do with the fact that like a, a good a good chunk of it is literally in my backyard. I mean, I step out of my lawn and I'm there. <laughs> so um, that kind of helps a lot. Um, but uh, even that with that said, I, I hunted a, a lot of different parts of it, um, just trying to keep bouncing around and, 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 and getting on new grounds as much as possible. But, um, you know, my, 
my property is a small property. Um, and so by its very nature, um, especially when you consider that there's uh, a number of neighbors, right? Cause it's all <clears throat> on one side is all smaller parcels as well. Um, and on the other side is a larger parcel, but a larger parcel that's hunted by a lot of people. So even my property is, is subject to quite a bit, uh, to, to hunting pressure. Um, there's a lot of pressure around it. Uh, you know, I can control obviously the pressure that I put on internally, but externally there's a lot of pressure in that neighborhood. So it's not like I was, uh, used to dealing with um the impacts and negative impacts of hunting pressure uh from that standpoint but <clears throat> this was just a more of a like uh you know i i just i just wanted to change things up i wanted to challenge i wanted more of a challenge um yeah like i said i've been pretty successful at, at on, on my property um i want to say it was uh seven bucks from the same tree um you know i i had i had that pretty dialed in uh it was a matter of uh just kind of showing up and putting the time in and getting the opportunity so um not that that's a bad thing but it just became like well i kind of i kind of feel like i need to uh uh just get a challenge in order to like kind of keep trying to level up you know right you were looking for what was next in that case so you know talking about what's next we've got rifle season coming up you know as this airs um we're going to be just starting out with rifle season and i'm kind of curious your play on things here you've been hunting uh this general area i'm assuming you're going to continue to hunt this general area and hopefully put the put the clothes on one of the buck that you've been after um, does the play change much with uh, gun season in the loop, kind of toward the the tail end of the rut here, getting into the the you know post rut type thing? What's that going to look like in your mind? Um, I think the first week is going to be um, really pretty good. Uh, <clears throat> almost the entire week has November on the calendar, you know, um, and a pretty. Uh, I think in a lot of ways, um, like, uh, underestimated part of November. Uh, <clears throat> I think, uh, in a lot of years we don't, uh, in Pennsylvania, we don't get, um, a lot of opportunity to hunt kind of one of the best parts of the month. Um, cause we have the rifle bear season and Thanksgiving like that week. <laughs> is uh i think uh like a, a really really strong uh week for 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 buck movement yeah, i think you're right with that too because i will have to say even bear hunting this past weekend and over the years i can't tell you how many times we've run into rut crazed bucks fighting carrying on chasing doe coming 10 yards from us and not 
bothering with us because they were so fixated on the deal. They're so love drunk in some cases. It's been yep. mind boggling the experiences I've had. And it's not just this year. I mean, I had a, we were sitting on a, a drive and I had a four pointer chase a doe up literally less than 10 yards and he stopped and looked at us, blew, ran, but then stopped and then came right past us again at 15 yards. <laughs> it's like the stupid things they do that time of year. So I definitely think you're on to something there. And aside from, you know, special regs, it's closed. Yeah. And I think this year is as close as we, as we will get in most years to being able to capitalize on that phase of the rut. Um, you know, a lot of the does at that point have been bred, uh, you know, we're past like kind of the, the peak, the peak breeding phase. We still have elements of lockdown and we're starting to see, you know, uh, those bucks that are breaking out of lockdown and are actively and aggressively searching out the last few opportunities of November. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think this year, our rifle season, the way it falls, um, that we are, we are like going to be on the tail end of what that kind of that phase, uh, you know, where that kind of like a lot of that chaotic activity is, is going to be happening. Um, and then I think coupled with, uh, the, the human pressure of the orange army invasion is going to result in just a lot of, of movement. So there'll be pressure driven movement. There'll be rut driven movement. And, uh, I think a lot of times the hard part with that is uh, it's just going to be, you have to be in the right place at the right time. And a lot of that, unfortunately (laughs) with those things is going to be, there's going to be a lot of luck because you may have put all the time in, in the world to figure out this spot where everything's coming together you know, uh, but then 15 minutes after the crack of daylight, uh, you know, Billy Bob and his three brothers come tromp and through, uh, and completely put the kibosh to <laughs> what you were planning on, on happening. But also likewise, two hours later, those guys, uh, decide to go, you know, they need to go come back out to go to breakfast and they push you know, a bunch of does right by you. And the sound of those does running was enough to catch the ear of, uh, you know, a couple of bucks that recognize it as, Hey, wait a minute, there's a chase going on over there. And the next thing you know, you got a bunch of bucks coming in hard to check these does out because they haven't, you know, they're still completely out of their minds, you know, in rut mode and, uh, don't, really they haven't been all been shot at or shot yet you know what i mean so you i think we we have like a perfect uh perfect storm type scenario i think it's going to be uh a longer you can uh uh stay put the better um you know so i i think it's gonna i think i think uh, the first week's gonna be really pretty good this year If you're looking to simplify your food plot system while enhancing the quality of your soil, you need to check out Vitalize Seed Company. 
Vitalize provides top quality seed blends designed to fit into their 1-2 planting system. The system has been designed to allow highly diverse plant species to grow synergistically, optimizing nutrient uptake and cycling the way God intended. Reduce your inputs, build your soil, and maximize the quality tonnage for the wildlife in your area. Find out more about this system and get your seed at vitalizeseed.com and be sure to check them out on Instagram and Facebook. Well, let's break that down a little bit. So you got the, the, the first few first few days of the season, right? We're at the tail end of November, and you talked about a lot of really possible, you know, good possibilities of what's to come there. So uh, just play out in your mind, like, what you've got planned for, for that. You know, what are you looking for as far as finding a place, you know, or, or what, what – you know, without giving a spot away, obviously, what, what does it look like? That, what are you looking for in those first few days to try to capitalize on a deer? Is it something close to bedding? Is it is it something that's a good transition of multiple ridges, like a hub coming together? Like, what does that look like in your mind for those first few days? To me, it's uh, terrain. Um, if I can get multiple terrain features, again, with habitat, um or that connect habitat and play into what I think hunting pressure will do, then that's, that's the spot. So I want it to be a place where the deer, uh, if there were all things being equal, you remove the hunting pressure. Um, bucks are going to be moving through because they're, they're going to be looking for another, you know, another breeding opportunity. Um, but it also, add the hunting pressure in if you can figure or at least best guess where that pressure is going to come from how that would force a pressure movement through those terrain features uh to the habitat right because uh you know i think in a lot of ways you get uh, a good terrain feature between bedding areas and you think that uh you know, you're going to have more pressure uh, coming from one bedding area than the other. Chances are the deer that are exiting the bedding area with the pressure are going to use the terrain feature to get to the other bedding area, you know. Um, so I think that that's really kind of what I'm leaning towards. Um, I got two particular spots in mind that I think uh, uh, will work. Um, just from that standpoint, uh, do you have a pretty good both, sense of what you think the pressure is going to be like in those locations and how you think the deer might react to it? Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I did, did manage to locate quite a few, uh, quite a few stands, uh, and then knowing where, uh, some of the, like the ATV, UTV access, uh, that would have allowed, uh, people to, to get in and out of those stands or would promote people getting in and out of those stands. <clears throat> so just really kind of looking for stuff like that. Um, you know, where, where the hunter sign has been traditionally, where, uh, it is in terms of what I've seen and observed this fall, uh, and then where the access is. And then basically, um, trying to get the other side of that. Uh, and 
if the wind stays as forecast uh, right now, um, uh, two of those spot or uh, those two spots, both, uh, you know, I think it'll be a flip of a coin, which one would be, which one would be better. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's, uh, you know, just, just using those terrain features, uh, and, and, and then particularly the, the terrain features that connect the, the different habitat types, uh, especially habitat types that are, are cover. And to me, uh, a big, a big facet of that is going to be cover that equals food and food that equals cover. Um, so the real obvious, you know, version of that is basically, you know, any of the clear cuts, timber harvest, stuff like that. Right. Uh, where yet, you know, depending on the age class of those cuts, um, you're going to have that food that equals cover and cover that equals food. Um, because then the deer are just going to have that, uh, security, uh, not need to, to travel too far to, to fill up during daylight hours. Um, and, uh, the cover to, to, you know, feel safe. So, um, you know, I, I, again, I just, I think those terrain features, uh, that funnel the movement between them mm-hmm. are, are really pretty much the hot spots. Well, and speaking of terrain features, one of the things I wanted to converse with you about tonight was, uh, was something that I do every year. And I know you've done a lot of in the past and it's very popular during gun season. It's also very popular in a negative sense. A lot of people want to talk bad about it, but that's, that's making drives and hunting with a group. And uh, it's definitely an effective tactic. There's a lot of thoughts and a lot of different opinions on how to do it effectively. There's a lot of thought on is it safe or not. And it is with a, with a lot. And you and I have talked about that a lot. And I kind of wanted to bring that surface back, uh, resurface that conversation a little bit. Um, you know, the past, um, I think it's the past three or four years, I've done a, a group hunt at my camp and we have a good group of guys and it's ranged anywhere from 15 to 21 ish guys. And, uh, you know, we do some, some organized drives. Sometimes it's big woods, swamp, sometimes it's a clear cut, sometimes it's a side hill. Um, but, uh, working together with the group, there's, uh, it's not as easy as so many people would think. A lot of people think when you do that style of hunting that um, you're just going through Orange Army and you're killing everything. And the the, the, the reality is if you don't have things buttoned up right, um, number one, you can uh, really have low success, low odds. And it's a lot of work to organize that many people. And there needs to be moving parts. And I, somebody was explaining it to me almost like uh, – you know, in an army, uh, in a sense, like, you know, generals and commanders and everything else and like tiers of who's going to have leadership and, you know, or, or, or the other saying would be who's going to be your chiefs and who's going to be your Indians. And that's kind of very important when it comes to having a successful, uh, group hunt. So, I mean, first and foremost, off the bat, let's talk a little bit about safety. Um, you know, I, I, I think it's so easy to get carried away when uh, when game is is moving. But you know, the, the way a lot of drives work, I mean, there's potential that you're going to be shooting in the wrong direction, and and you got to keep mindset of that. So, 
Um, you know, if you've been part of a group, whether you've been um, a leader or a follower, like what's been some of the logic or the conversations you've had with groups of people when it comes to approaching the day safely? Yeah, I mean, we always start every day um, with uh, basically, you know, the old safety talk, um, you know, which I think, uh, you know, some people will, will uh, you know, kind of shit on that and think, uh, mm-hmm. oh, you know, we don't need to go over this. Uh, you know, oh, okay, here comes the old, you know, OSHA certified inspector, you know, like, oh, safety, okay. But it's like, you know what, that's the number one thing, no matter what, when we're doing this. Um, if you can't respect that we're going to talk that every day <laughs> at the beginning of the day, then chances are we don't, we really don't. You, you should probably go hunt somewhere else. Um, that's, there's there's no reason, no reason, no good reason for that. Um, you know, I've always, I've always in all leadership, it's, it's extremely important to define the expectations. Um, you can't, there will be no success. Uh, if, if you can't, uh, if everybody doesn't know what's expected, right. Um, and you can't assume that everybody knows what's expected. Uh, especially once you start to get outside of, you know, you get start to get north of, uh, you know, six, seven, eight people. You know, you start to get into a certain amount of people that, uh, you know, know each other, but maybe don't know each other like uh, super well or, you know, hunt together all the time. And, you, you know, so you, you can't assume that everybody thinks the same way and that everybody's going to react to things the same way. Um, or that everybody's going to perceive certain situations the same way. So you have to, first and foremost, just lay that out. Define the expectations, you know. And that way, also, you know, you get people get an opportunity to go, yeah, maybe this isn't for me or maybe this isn't, uh, uh, you know, how I want to do this or, you know, oh, that seems different or whatever it is, no matter what. You got to, you got to put that out there first. You got to make sure, okay, safety, we, we, nothing. There's no deer out there that's worth taking a risky shot. There's nothing. There's not, not anything out there. So if you have any doubt in your mind, you are not pulling the trigger. Don't do it. Let it go. Okay. We can always try to hunt, you know, hunt it again, right? We can always try to make a plan to get back in there. If it's something, you know, you know, big buck, whatever, we can always figure something else out, try to make another move on it. But once you pull that trigger, you can't undo that. So that's the first thing you, you do not shoot at anything, you know, the basic, you know, basic gun, gun rules. Don't shoot at anything you don't wish to destroy, you know? So yeah, that's real important. And one thing I want to talk about too, you, you, you touch base on it and it's really important. I, I learned this from, uh, my brother-in-law's dad. He was uh, talking about this with me cause he's got a lot of experience running drives. And, you know, when I started to take a little bit of leadership in some of the drives that we do, he made a, a comment about group hunting and that mentality side of things. And he's, and one thing opinion I've formed was based on this. And he said, you know, when you go, 
with a group and you come back from a hunt like that and you go home or you go to work, or you go to a Christmas dinner or whatever, and you're showing pictures to people and you say, you know, we were at camp, uh, we got two buck and, or, or we shot a doe and a buck the first day. Um, yep. and, and you have that mentality of we, instead of I killed the buck and I killed this and I did that, like, that's really important. And that's, that's kind of, abnormal to think about with mainstream big buck whitetail hunting today because it's a, it's a selfish individual pursuit but when you yep. put yourself into a, a group atmosphere if you have that same mentality of i'm in this for me and i want to put myself in the best situation possible hunting yep. with other people you're going to set yourself up for um those those kind of relationships or those kind of things that take place that ruin friendships or ruin uh relationships that just aren't worth it for a stupid deer or a bear so right. I, I i to me that is extremely important that like it's set that we, we're in this together this is a camaraderie thing together and yep. there, there's going to be hunting opportunities that are that are you know yeah yeah and i you know and kind of dovetail on that thought is uh you know everybody you know, is going to have uh, a different, uh, uh, <clears throat> I guess, uh, you know, vision of like, okay, like uh, what they, what they, what they want to shoot, what they don't want to shoot. You know, they're, uh, someone doesn't want to shoot a, uh, you know, a one-year-old legal six point or whatever, but the next guy down might be just as, happy like would make his season you know uh so i hunt with a pretty diverse group like where there's people who are more than happy with a legal buck and then there's people that are you know not gonna you know shoot anything but uh you know a a problem you know a racked buck in our area a two and a half year old uh you know typical 14 15 inch eight point then there's some guys that just probably aren't going to shoot a buck unless it's uh you know it's a big deer (laughs) Mm -hmm. that's and and that's fine and that's the beauty of it we can all we can all hunt together and all of that can be you know what i mean everybody can can still have a good time and everyone can still congratulate everybody and everybody can still be happy for everybody you know and um so you know, I think that's important that it doesn't have to be, uh, we all have to have the same mentality, you know, uh, because I think I've, I've seen that before where some people are, you know, uh, in, in some ways their own ego, uh, couldn't allow them to be, um, happy for someone who shot a buck that they felt like was, you know, quote, too small or too young. And, and, and that caused them to not want to hunt with certain people anymore because they, they were like, oh, well, I don't want to be associated with, with shooting those, you know, young bucks Mm -hmm. or whatever. And, you know, which I get, but to an extent, management has its place. And sometimes, uh, when you're doing these drives, uh, and, and it's, it's a very dynamic situation. There's a lot happening very quickly, and even the most well-intented person who's like trying to shoot a, a mature deer, and you know, 
gets a uh, a look at a, a racked buck from the side, shoots it. It's a you know a, a two year old uh, eight point with great potential, and they're like, oh man. But that that's what I'm getting at. You have to you have to go into it knowing what you know what the scenarios could could be, you know, uh, and be okay with it, and also be okay with other people, you know, uh, taking, uh, what they, you know, what's legal for them to do and what they're happy with and have that, but still be able to have that, that mentality of we, you know, Mm -hmm. I Um, never, I never wanted to impose like my thoughts and opinions on the hunt to anybody. I've hunted with groups of, of people that, um, had an expectation of, if a certain size, if we chase you a certain size buck and it comes out and you don't want to shoot it, that that's taboo because we worked right. and therefore you should shoot it. And I don't right. like that because it's not yep. your tag. Um, yep. Yeah, I, I had that experience in, a, in one of the overlap hunts. I think it was back when uh, they first opened archery bear with archery deer. And I was hunting with a group of guys and we were hunting with the bows and uh you know some of us were there for bear some of us were there for either or didn't care and i know a, a buck went out to somebody it was a very nice buck but it was not what he was after and passed it and there was a little bit of controversy within that and that's really hard to like know that ahead of time when it's a new thing like that like it's 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 hard to communicate that until something like that happens with those expectations so i i ask you the question when you, when you come into group hunting what in your mind does a good leader look like? Um, well, somebody's got to have good uh, leadership skills, organizational skills. Um, somebody that's got to have work ethic, um, and and somebody that's not um, somebody that's not uh, gonna shy away from. Uh, you know, kind of confronting those situations, uh, but in a way like not in an adversarial way, but in a way that says, Hey, okay, wait, I see this happening. Listen, you know, this is the situation, you know, getting that conversation going between the people so that it, there, you know, there isn't, there isn't a need for any of that, but you know, it takes a, it takes a lot of organization you know, if you're going to get uh, a group of people to give up their time, you know, whether it's one day or two days or three days or whatever it is, uh, to come hunt with the group, um, you had better have it very well thought out, organized and, and, and not waste time trying to figure out, Oh, well, what are we going to do next? You know, you should have a pretty good idea on, you know, first drive of the day, uh, second drive a day, third drive a day, however many you think you can do in a day. Um, if you have done them in the past, you generally are going to know takes us this long to set this one up, takes us this long to run it through, takes us this long, uh, to get something out of the woods. If we get something here, it takes us this long to get back in the trucks and move into the next spot. Takes us this long to get to the next spot. Take, you know what I mean? You should have that worked out. You should know, okay, we have this many people uh, on this drive. We need, uh, say you have 18. We need uh, 
10 people to push it, eight to watch it. Uh, the 10, you know, on uh, the upper piece need to be about 50 yards apart. You know, uh, or the the five on the upper need to be about 50 yards apart. The five on the lower probably need to get spread out a little bit more because it's a little more open. Um, you know, the five on the top are going to be slower. So the, you know, because they're going through something thicker or rougher terrain, the five on the bottom, you guys really need to make sure, uh, you're keeping your pace so that you're not getting too far out front, you know, Maybe you guys give them a head start of this amount of time. You know, all these type of things, you you really, you really want to, uh, you know, have thought out. Now, if you're going to work in, you know, that it's a brand new group that's never hunted together uh, and a brand new group in terms of uh, the drives that they're doing, they've never really all done them, you know, stuff like, yes, there's going to be a learning curve there, but Big it's going to be... It's going to be the, the kind of the, the leadership element of the group needs to be capturing that data and analyzing it, you know. And I think a big part of it, too, is everybody likes to get done with get done for the day, get the trucks, get back to camp, crack the beers open, start eating, you know, have a great time. And next thing you know, everybody's half in the bag or telling stories and <laughs> passed out already. You know, but I think you need to have a debrief. That hey, That's part of the camp experience right there. I, we don't want to miss that. But at the same time, what an awesome opportunity it is when you have that end of the day discussion or what what I've been trying to do with our group hunts the past few years, you know, um, you know, I've been blessed to be in a situation where I'm calling a lot of the shots, but I can't do it without some people that I can trust and rely on and, and knowing that I can say to uh, person A, hey, can you please take five people with you and line this section off and I need you to spread this group out from this road to um, this corner of the ridge or I need xyz people to be in a driver or you know let's talk about um making the drive and let's say you know in your scenario where you had eight and ten um you know if i'm taking the ten drivers in and we're going through maybe a really nasty spot and we're not that familiar with it one thing i really like to do is i like to have a pivot man in the middle somebody that can communicate with three on one side and three on the other and you can give me that pivot point of saying hey we are getting a little bit farther ahead on this end than that end we need to need to coordinate that and work your end guys um you know i always thought when i was leading a group like that i needed to be in the middle of it in the worst section because i was leading this entourage through the nastiest laurel and rhododendron and and multiflora rows and stickers and briars and you know if i'm going to lead a group of guys to that i need to be right in the heart of it and there's truth to that but at the same time um it's hard to communicate and fully do your job in that respect and then you know the other thing you talked about your debriefing at the end of the day it's really important for me to um communicate with everybody you know what did you see throughout the day on on this drive where were you sitting and and you know how did the deer react in this area or um you you know was there something that we missed in the drive that you saw or um you know just little tidbits like that especially the people that have a lot of experience doing drives like for me i'm a little bit younger in uh in 
leading something like this, but then when I've got um, you know people in their in their mid fifties and stuff that have done what I'm doing now 20 years ago, getting their opinion on what worked well and what didn't, what do I need to improve upon? I'll tell you last year, one thing that I messed up on when I was doing those drives, uh, we had a big group of guys that already had buck tags filled. So when we went to go to do this one drive, um, I had a few people, most of the guys that had buck tags filled were drivers, but I had yep. a few people that had buck tags and were, were drivers as well. And one thing I didn't do, and it bit us for an opportunity, I didn't stagger those buck tags going through as drivers. I had a, yep. a clump dispersal of people who didn't have a buck tag, and guess where the buck backed out? Right where those guys were. So little things like that to pick up on um, and, and being open to, you know, being acceptable of a little bit of criticism hey this would be you know something to improve upon so little things like that go a long way if you want to have a successful group hunt oh yeah no that and and that again the attention to detail and and organization and stuff like that's that's huge you know and and yeah i was i was the same way for a long time was uh you know oh there's no drive that you can't put me in the worst spot and, and you know what I mean? I, I, I'll, I'll take the worst spot all day long, mm-hmm. all day long, every single drive. I, I'm going to be up to my waist in water battling through the thickest, nastiest stuff. That's trying, you know, everything's trying to cut you and drag you down and trip you. Like, yeah, that was the, you know, what you had to do, you know? And, but a lot of times when you're in that situation, you don't have the situational awareness of what the whole picture, what's happening. And, uh, you know, so after a while I started, uh, um, basically being a flanker, uh, depending on the terrain quite often, um, that could give me the ability to tell what part, you know, what my line is doing, what my drive line's doing. Um, especially if you, the high man, you kind of can hear down the line of, of how it's going. And, and I've always been one. I'm not, you know, I'm not, uh, completely all, uh, all in uh, silent drive. I'm not all in uh, full on, you know, hooting and hollering. I, I just want enough noise where, where we can tell what's going on. Um, and you know, but I, there are some drives that we will, We'll do, especially when we get on the smaller side groups that uh, are going to be more silent um, and it's going to be more reliant on the people having been in areas before and done and walk, you know, have actually walked these routes before um, and understanding the timing uh, that it takes to, to, to kind of execute those. But with the bigger groups, uh, you know, tend to need to have that certain level of, uh, of, of yelling and whatnot for the communication, uh, in and of itself, you know? And, uh, but yeah, I, I, I think, um, I think a lot of times, uh, you end up having to be, um, flexible and being, you know, deciding where you need to situate yourself uh, in order to, to kind of get the, uh, get everything going according to plan. Um, you know, sometimes it's actually being a watcher too. And, 
it took me a little while to figure that out because I always prided myself on I was a full-time driver. I'm walking the whole day. I don't, you know, I'm not sitting anywhere. <laughs> I'm, I'm constantly going, right? And uh, uh, at, some, at some point, some drives, in order to figure them out, um, especially, you know, in terms of looking ahead for the future, for doing these, you know, in, in the future, sometimes you almost have to be one of the watching positions to fully be able to hear it uh, and see it the, the way it unfolds from, from the, from the, the uh, uh, from the watcher, you know, perspective, because sometimes that'll give you, you know, the Intel you need to fine tune how the drivers need to kind of uh, navigate, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think it's just a matter of, uh, of, you know, staying uh open-minded and flexible um also you know we kind of had to reference the you know chiefs and indians um there's you know a certain point where uh you don't need a whole lot of chiefs uh you just need indians and then there's certain points where uh you need that input um you, you need you need that uh, that feedback um, <clears throat> so that uh, you know you can uh, you, you have you have people that are able to tell you what what was happening where you couldn't see it or hear it or whatever. So um, you know, staying flexible, I think, is probably a a big you know probably a, a, a um, one of the the bigger qualities uh, needed for somebody in that position. Yeah, yeah, staying flexible, but also being decisive too, because you can also find yourself you'll you'll be in a situation where you're flexible and you you well, what do you think? What do you think? Well, I don't know, and and that can be tough too. You need you almost need somebody like almost in the sense when you go from drive A to drive B, and you're gonna say who's gonna well who's gonna drive this one, and who's gonna sit this one, and you almost at a point to have to say you're uh, you know as a leader you're gonna be yep. a driver this one, you're going to be a stander this one. Is anybody have a problem with that and move on with with your day and that, that's a really tough thing and I think it takes number one it takes uh, time in order to do something like that um, I, I think in order to to gain somebody's respect in order for them to listen you have to be respectful yourself you know yep. any any leader who's not respectful and is you know says and does things that's less than ideal in a, in a group setting uh, it's gonna slowly bring that group down um, oh yeah let's uh w- one thing you were talking about was was drivers and oh, this is a hard one to communicate now i'm just kind of curious where your mind goes i've been in groups where it was you know exactly what you just said you know barreling through making noise almost like a sense like you're not even hunting as a driver you're just making noise and it seems like you're just trying to stuff chase stuff you know timbuktu um and i've also like and and this is kind of where i lean like let's try to be a hunter as we sneak through this this piece you know um game have great senses they've got better noses than us they've got you know as good or better ears than us uh pretty good eyesight they know the woods better than we do let's navigate this uh this piece of woods semi semi semi-methodical and try not to uh, chase 
let's, let's try to just nudge stuff and let's maybe even put it that we have an opportunity as a driver. So like, well, like with your mentality, where, where does your mind go when you're talking about drives? Maybe it's different terrain, different topography, different, uh, uh, vegetation type or, or just hunting style. I mean, where, where do you, where does your mind go in that, Phil? Yeah. You know, I think, I think it has a lot to do with the size of the size of the crew. Um, and terrain and, and vegetation type, uh, just from a safety perspective, uh, on the smaller side, uh, of gr- uh, groups that I hunt with, it's, Usually the um, the drivers usually end up being the guys who get a lot of the shooting uh, because we're we're operating on a a more uh, still hunting with escape routes covered kind of philosophy, right? Like we have this area where we believe there to be what we're after, right? We think that if we come from this way. Uh, and they detect us coming, they're going to go out of that area in this way and this way and this way. And we are going to put people to cover the escape routes. And then the rest of the group is going to hunt their way through it. Right. Um, so in that regard, drivers, uh, you know, are, are more like, uh, just still hunting and if they get beat <laughs> the watchers are there to kind of uh keep it you know keep you know play cleanup in a sense exact back cleanup right um and then on the bigger groups uh especially with all that manpower that's usually we're looking at you know some of the real thick vegetation um we're gonna go out and beat that you know just beat the brush and just pound it uh less worried about noise um we ideally have the wind you know crosswind but maybe it's gonna be across our backs at times um your main goal uh or mission really is um primarily to try to move uh our quarry towards the watchers um with the bigger groups, I think, um, from a safety perspective, uh, that's kind of, you know, depending on, depending on the group and the numbers and who I have in the drive and the type of terrain it is. A lot of times I will say like your rifles probably going to be slung over your shoulder for the majority of the time we're going through this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you're most likely not going to get a shot opportunity. Um, so try to stay focused on keeping the line going, going, making sure we're, we're staying in line, we're keeping the right pace and we're moving stuff along. Um, but you know, if you can get an opportunity, take the opportunity by all means. Sure, sure, sure. Um, what I find a lot of times in, in that kind of scenario and that particular type of habitat is when uh when the drivers are getting in on the shooting what it usually is is a very big buck and it's a one shot and the buck is either dead or some piece of a tree or sapling is dead and a lot of times those big old deer when that 
happens, just hunker right down. Mm-hmm. And they don't move until the drive has actually just gone beyond them. And what almost thought in those cases, a lot of times it's uh, the drive line gets told to stop. And as the drivers are coming to a halt because they're trying to get lined out or get somebody caught up, when they stop, that's when the deer gets up and goes. You know what I mean? Um, I've seen it. I don't know how many times where I've been driving and it's I've I've walked past not knowing, walked past the deer, walked past the buck, <laughs> only to stop. And as soon as I stop, that's when hey, they they said, okay, I got to get out of here. Mm-hmm. And uh, and usually that's that's when those shot opportunities come in, in that real thick nasty stuff uh, with uh, with a lot of guys. Um, where generally speaking, the drivers aren't really going to be getting too many you know shot opportunities uh that's usually when it comes and that's the best one because you know what you're doing you're shooting away from everybody um and so that's that's a perfect opportunity for for a driver there and i always tell people tell tell the crew that like you you gotta watch behind you if you stop for one reason or another you know more than a brief pause you better be watching the backside because that's usually when they decide they're going to make, they're going to make a break for it. Um, there's just something about that where they know when you're moving that you don't know they're there. You know what I mean? There's something about that when you're moving away from them, they've they're They are like, okay, they don't know I'm here. As soon as you stop, that's when they're like, Oh crap. <laughs> I think game does it way more than a lot of people think. I mean, I've seen it doing uh, many drives over the years that deer slip out the back. Um, I, I've seen uh, I, I've I've seen one or two bear do it. I often wonder how many how many uh, how many game animals do it, and you don't even know that they do it. You know, you know they're they're good. There's a gap, or there's something that goes on, and they just slip out the back, and you never know it. But you know, instances like you were talking about, you know, sometimes you learn when you do a drive like that. Hey here's an opportunity for like a backdoor stand or escape route or you know as as i talked about with uh mark lesher and rob henny and on the podcast a couple times you know hunting with a group of hunters and working through some sometimes you get into a situation where you're part way through a drive and maybe there's a, a terrain feature or a, a vegetation pinch or funnel that somebody comes up to and maybe this is a spot where they should hang back and let the rest of the drive continue and that's something that you can rarely um go into a new drive and know this is where you're going to do it it's one of those things you got to learn over time or really know the woods well and how how animals behave in it to make a decision like that and that's to me that's part of the fun of group hunting because you slowly learn and piece things together like that yep yep exactly and and those are usually places that you're not going to necessarily pick off of a map and and pre uh you know plan that um you know when i was a kid uh you know we've we've talked about it before and actually it's kind of interesting because as it turns out where i grew up hunting is not too far from right uh, camp that you hunt out of um and uh we you know opening day everybody went out and sat in the morning came back to camp lunchtime Depending on what happened in the morning, 
we either immediately went straight to doing drives or went back out and sat. And then Tuesday morning, second day, started with driving. Sun up, sun down. Uh, so we had a couple of stands. The camp was down in a hollow. And there was uh, two stands basically straight up the ridge line on either side of the hollow from the camp. You know, I mean, like wooden planks, you know, and, and two by fours, you know, hammering mm-hmm. the crotch of the tree type of stands. And what we would often do when we drive those tops off is we would have people go to those stands. Even if we were driving the, 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 the ridge to the, to the right, we had a guy in, in the stand on the ridge to the left because they would break just above where camp was because it actually topography wise was uh before the hollow got real real steep so when they came off those tops they they usually tried to get up to that and cross there and go up to the other side and we would drive the one side off to uh in line the watchers would go the first watch they'd go up from camp one guy would get in on that stand, which was right on the ridge line, and the rest of them go straight out across. The rest of the crew went all the way up out, and they pushed that top to that point. And then, basically, the, the they switched. They dropped down in the hollow, and the next round of watchers went all the way out around to the point, and then they drove away from that tree stand. But somebody stayed in that stand the whole time. Because usually when they push that second half, deer would break through the drive. They would run the ridge line to where that stand is to drop down and cross the hollow, go up to the other other ridge. Okay? The ones that broke out and got through, that's what they did every time. So you had someone there in that you know, in that stand when they they were a watcher, traditionally speaking, with the drive coming to them. And then they stayed there, and they were the back door guy as the drive, next drive went away from. And then, likewise, the, there was a guy all the way over on the other, <laughs> the ridge on the other side of the hollow. And then we'd drive that top off in the same fashion while the other guy, you know, you might switch out who was in the stand, mm-hmm. but there was always somebody in those two stands. Yeah, and it's amazing, like, stuff like that. The longer you do certain drives, you learn certain little skate breaths. You, you know when you put somebody, like, you are in the spot, you're probably going to see a good buck or get a, an opportunity or, or maybe a bear. I, it was funny. Uh, just this weekend we were doing a drive, and I actually uh, I sat sat with my uncle because um, we had so many guys in this one watch, and uh, I, uh, we were – talking stories and he was telling us the year that he shot his bear actually and it was a it was a cool story they they got set up and he was actually going to be a driver they were going to have three drivers and when they got set up they found out that when the watchers went into this area it was completely loaded with other people hunting i don't know if they knew they you know that area was going to get pushed and they were just sitting there waiting so uh the last minute they they flipped the switch and they said um, you know, you guys are going to be standers and we're going to drive it to you. We're going to do it the complete opposite way. And, uh, you know, there, there it was, there was three guys, two of the three had already killed bear. My uncle was the only one that never killed the bear. And, uh, 
you know, the guy who was leading the entourage, he said, ah, he said, I'm not shooting. He said, I don't need to shoot a bear. He said, I'm staying right here at the top. He said, you need to be in the middle. He said, and the other guy needs to be at the bottom. He said, that one bear's going to come right across that middle. And sure enough, it did, and he shot a bear. And it's stuff like that when you have those experiences you, you, you kind of run into. Um, yep. You know, we're, we're, running, we're closing in here on an hour, Phil. One, one other thing I wanted to touch base on with you and, and gain your thoughts on is communication. Uh, you know, communication not just from the leadership side like we talked earlier, but communication throughout the day, and a lot of times guys using two-way radios of some sort and uh two-way radios can be helpful they can also be a pain in the neck because you get people who are chatterboxes and you know yeah. bang who shot stuff like that so yeah. um one thing i, I learned I, again this was a, another learn from uh, hunting with uh, experienced group hunters uh we kind of made a, a rule now that when the guns crack the radios are silent until the person who shot or the person yep. next to who shot can give you an update of what yep. is going on. Do we have a yep. wounded game animal? Did it go back into the drive? Do we have something like that? You have, and I have to, I'm going to preface this by saying stuff like that. You really have to watch what you say because, uh, folks, that is illegal to use communication of some sort like that to yep. say there is game moving. Um, it, it's mostly for a safety side of things. Be like, hey, we, we've got something going on here. Um, yep. To me, that that that's important. That way, you can have good quality communication. The other thing too is, you don't need somebody who's a a, a stander that's you know just chattering away when drivers need to be communicating. Uh, yep. You know, interfere with the radios. That that's a that's just an annoyance. And the other thing that I've always done. This is just me personally. Um, a lot of time, if I've been a stander, I turn the radio off because there's nothing more that I can stand than having yep. something come in and I'm getting ready to shoot and the radio goes beep beep beep, <laughs> like stuff like that yep. can, can burn you. So to me, yep. that's really important. Do you have anything yep. to add to that, Phil, or, or different yeah. thoughts on that? Yeah. So watchers. No radios. One person. That's the guy who sets the watchers out. That's the guy who usually is the the furthest most watch. He's the guy that is trusted to set the watchers out where they're supposed to be, where they need to be. When that person reaches their destination as a watcher, they get on. We're all set. That's it. Radio gets turned off. And again, shots fired. Um, that I, I will tell usually that person, it, listen, if there's shots, go ahead, turn the radio on because we may need to let you know something, some sort of important information in terms of, Hey, yeah, go ahead, get everybody fall back, you know, go to the trucks. Everything's, you know, Meet us at the blah, 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 because we're going to need three other guys to do this. You know what I mean? Whatever that is. But for the most part, on the watch side, one person with a radio, and that's the person who's setting them out and needs to let us know that they are ready. And that's it. But Roger beeps. Do whatever you need to do to figure out on that radio how to turn the damn Roger beep off. That's like the most annoying thing on the face of the earth. Uh, God, I can't, I can't tolerate it. I will. That's one thing that I'll make. I'll take the radio. Give me that thing. <laughs> I'm gonna make sure it doesn't make this noise ever again. I don't know what buttons I have to push, but I will find them. Um, and uh, and then within the within the drivers, uh, 
you know, I don't think every single person needs a, a radio within the drivers, but you know, one end, middle, other end, uh, type of thing. Usually, um, verbal communication can happen from mm-hmm, there. Sure. Um, so I like to keep the number of radios actually to the bare minimum possible. And again, you bring up the, the, uh, the legal aspect of it because people get excited and they'll be like, Oh, there's one running over here, you know? And you're like, you can't do that. You can't say that. Yeah. <laughs> you can't, you can't do that. So it's hard to police, uh, all of that and make sure that everyone's using them the way they're supposed to. Um, and, you know, so I just ideally to me, even with a big group, uh, there's four radios, there's three on the drive side, there's one on the wash side. That's it. Um, because uh, I just, you know, again, it gets back to uh, where they where you have that, you know, uh, too many chiefs, and not enough Indians. And and then and then the other thing that happens is. Uh, the rest of the group, oh, well, they get talking. Something happens, shots fired, people are dealing with something. Uh, and then the rest of the, everybody's talking on the radio. And uh, somebody's like, oh, well, yeah, oh, okay, let's just go back to the trucks. And it's like, well, we didn't want everybody to go back to the trucks at this point. Like, we wanted everybody to stay where they were. But, you know, just the, I, I think the bare minimum number of radios possible. I mean, a lot of the places we hunt, cell service is not a thing like we just <laughs> right not gonna have it uh but it seems to be like more and more every year more of these places have some level of service maybe you can send text messages and stuff so there's always that you know there's always gonna be outside of the radios um people are are gonna have the ability to text message each other or call each other no matter what so um you know it's just that's just the way i look at it but uh just kind of keeping the, the the radio usage to the bare minimum possible. Yep, and getting out there and just hunting and enjoying it. And, you know, the group hunting thing it's it's different, but to me it's a it's a shift in gears throughout the season. It's a, it's you know if if you've never experienced camp tradition, you probably don't know what I'm talking about. And uh, you know. I've brought people that never did, and when they experience it, they're like, "Man, this is fun." I'm, I'm, I wish I would have been doing this for longer, and it, it's fun. But there's a, there's certain things to to keep in mind that we already talked about in order to keep it fun and not ruin the fun. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's an effective way to do it. So, man, I, I appreciate you having this conversation about rifle hunting, man. It's, it's one of those things that uh, a lot of people kind of, you know almost deem it like a, a curse word or you know their, their yeah. season's over when bow hunting i used to be there yeah. and yep. uh I, I can't say that that's the case for me anymore so appreciate yeah. it um anything you want to leave us with um yeah you know i, I think along the same lines like just keep it fun just have go out have a good time uh you know i was the, i was the same way for a long time where it was you know if it, it was it was bow hunting or it was nothing um and uh you know, over time, it just, it, you know, got to the point where, uh, that in and of itself started to take the fun out of things. Um, and, uh, you know, so I just, uh, uh I, I'm like you, I, I, I'm a part of a, um, a, a camp, uh, you know, and we, we have a, a good time. We, uh, everybody works together. Um, you know, we, 
past couple of years started doing actually a, you know, kind of a rut camp during archery season, uh, you know, and then we always try to do at least something during, uh, you know, during rifle season. And then also uh, a lot of the guys are uh, into flintlocks. Uh, so the late season, um, you know, it also presents another opportunity. But, um, yeah, I just uh, I think uh, I think driving gets a bad name um uh mainly uh from people who have a, a limited experience with it uh and that experience may be of uh it of it not being done in a very uh sporting manner um i think there are scenarios in certain places uh certain types of habitat and landscapes where um it definitely can be an unfair, completely unfair advantage if you do a drive a certain, uh, certain way. Um, the it comes down to just making the shots, not if you're going to get the shots. You know what I mean? Uh, and uh, you know, I've I've also seen them where people doing the drives don't uh, necessarily uh, put the. Uh, animal in high regards and end up with a lot of wounded animals. Mm, um, yeah. And uh, from people taking shots they had no business taking. Um, you know, and I, I think it that comes from a different environment. I think up in the big woods, the mountains, uh, you're dealing with a much lower deer density. You're dealing with a different terrain, different habitat types where um you're just you're you're by doing drives in some ways you're almost at a disadvantage <laughs> because you're making it known that you're hunting them um mm-hmm. and uh it's their it's their world they live there they get escape predation there all the time um and the ones that are alive uh, and standing on the landscape are aside from the fawns are the ones who have repeatedly done that. Uh, so usually, um, you know, my money's on them. Um, I, I bet that they make it out, uh, more times than not. So, um, you know, I think, uh, same thing. A lot of people that don't have, uh, a whole lot of, uh, experience with it. Uh, you know, if you get the opportunity, um, and you previously had some sort of, uh, you know, a negative, uh, you know, uh, perspective on it. Uh, give it a try. Um, and the same thing, like a lot of the, a lot of the other aspects, uh, the camp and the com- camaraderie portion, like, well worth the price of admission in and of, of, mm. of so, um, you know, I just, uh, everybody. Uh, you know, keep an open mind, stay safe, have fun, and uh, that's really all you can do. You betcha. Well, hey, good luck. I hope you uh, hope you can wrap your tag around something here this gun season, and uh, man, hopefully you can have a good time with the kiddos too. Oh yeah, absolutely. We'll catch you later, Phil. All right, thanks a lot, Mitch.